Many of the politicos in Washington, D.C. believe the auto industry needs to do a lot more to improve fuel economy and reduce emissions. But they all have different ideas of what the industry has to do and are ever eager to write legislation to make that happen. So today we're going to Washington to hear firsthand what's going on from the floor of the Washington, D.C. Auto Show. Some of the topics we'll be covering today. Should the government be subsidizing electric cars? Should it be encouraging more clean diesels? And what about biofuels or natural gas? Joining me for today's show to get answers to those questions are Dan Weiss of the Center of American Progress, Fred Smith, the founder of the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and Ron Kogan, the publisher of Green Car Journal. I should let you know these gentlemen don't necessarily agree with one another, so buckle up. We're going to have a rip-roaring debate about what's going on automotive-wise in the nation's capital. Are you wasting time surfing the web looking for that special gift? Why not shop where the auto industry does? Turn to the AutoLine website, click on the store, and you'll find a treasure trove of John McElroy endorsed products. Remember to go to AutoLineDetroit.tv for that inspired gift choice. Welcome back. We're here on the floor of the Washington, D.C. Auto Show. And once again, joining me is Daniel Weiss with the Center for American Progress, Fred Smith with the Competitive Enterprise Institute, and Ron Kogan with Green Car Journal. Great having you all here. Thanks for having me. Well, let's start the conversation. And Dan, I'm going to start with you. There's all kinds of talk that this country needs an energy policy and that we've really got to get things going with uh, the automotive industry. Where does it stand in your viewpoint right now? Well, we made a lot of progress in the last year. The American Recovery and Reinvestment Act, commonly referred to as a stimulus package, uh, is investing a lot in helping the auto industry recover and prepare for the 21st century. For example, just yesterday, General Motors announced that it's going to be opening a battery factory in Baltimore that's going to employ at least a couple hundred people. Uh, in Michigan, they took a closed plant and now they're making lithium ion or high-tech batteries for the cars of the future. This is the direction we need to be going in. We have a national security imperative to reduce our use of oil. And with the investments that were begun with the uh, Recovery Act, we put out some seed money, now it's being matched by private capital, we're starting to see those changes. And Fred, how do you see this? Uh, where are we in terms of an energy policy apropos to the auto industry? Well, we used to have an auto, uh, energy policy. It was basically allow energy to be found, used, auto companies to make cars that please customers. Over the last uh, two or three decades now, we've gradually created one where we have to please bureaucrats and customers. That schizophrenic attitude to public policy, energy policy, auto energy policy, has created the monstrosity that drove companies into bankruptcy, drove American jobs out of America in the unionized, old line, legacy companies, and has had a growth industry, but the growth is outside of the traditional auto sector. China still believes in a future for itself. It's not committing economic suicide like the green jobs program will. China is, is now surpassed America in the number of cars being used. They're the hope of the future. A friend of mine said, one of my staffers said, you know, they'll always be in America, but if we're not careful, it'll end up in China. And Ron, Ron, how do you uh, view where the energy policy of this country is apropos to the automobile? Well, you know, we've needed an energy policy, a real one, for decades. And so I think we have a pretty good start in that direction. And I would uh, submit to Dan that, yes, we have a national imperative uh, for energy security. We have a national imperative not to bankrupt the country as well. So I think 
the decisions being made in Washington need to be measured decisions. I don't believe that necessarily that we should be picking the winners and the losers in the technology race to bringing better vehicles to the highway. I do think we're making progress and, and that some of the decisions being made are important ones. But I would agree, we need an energy policy and it needs, well, it Ryan, needs to be now. Well, Ryan, you'll be pleased to know that the two and a half billion dollars for advanced uh, manufacturing for the auto industry is being matched from the private sector with another two and a half billion dollars. So the federal government's providing the seed money to help get companies off their feet, uh, off their tushies, and uh, make the cars of the future. Uh, going to Fred's point, one of the reasons why the auto companies got into trouble was because in the spring of 2008, as gasoline prices were rising, people didn't want to buy the huge gas guzzlers that the American auto companies were offering for sale. Good show, Dick. And then that was compounded with the collapse of the credit markets in the fall of 2008. But it started with $4 a gallon gasoline. And of course, we're not at $4 a gallon gasoline. And the problems of trying to chase the will-o'-the-wisp of rising energy prices, which is not likely with the kind of world we're seeing now with tar sands in Canada, with the uh, deep, tight uh, natural gas throughout the United States. Energy now is becoming so abundant, we may go back to $1.50 gasoline in the next four or five years. But look, the real point is, and I think we have some agreement here, that government isn't very good about picking winners. I was at EPA doing the synthetic fuels, SIN fuels program. We spent $8 billion, we created eight barrels of oil. Government. When government spends money, it spends it politically. That's what it's all about. And that means we go around finding out which are the most needy congressional or state districts, and we pour money into it. And because you don't have that incentive to get it right, we end up with vast wastes. If there's going to be a better motive power for automobiles, the 50% subsidy that Dan's in favor of is 50% less incentive to get it right. If industry is going to solve problems, it'll solve them because customers want it and reality mandates it, not because some congressional bill is passed to make us all welfare queens. And I'll come back to that. I think it's important to note that what customers want is important. And until that point where we got $4 a gallon oil, customers wanted those vehicles. The auto industry can't change you know, on, on a dime. It cannot make an immediate turn. It's a ship at sea. You turn, you turn the wheel, that rudder goes, and you get there eventually. There's a product cycle for this. The important thing is automakers need to make products that the public wants. Now, course, I would, I would say... There was, you know, of course, that in the, in the era of the SUV, they had off-the-shelf technology that would make an SUV that could get 35 miles sure, per gallon. Sure, but can't, they can't do it affordably. So the, so sure the, they can. No, they make more profits than an SUV. No, 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 no. Wait a minute. But wait, the point wait, remains... Wait, that's not true. We now see the big companies saying, you know, we like to be green, but we like to make money, and we're going back to the American vehicle, the truck, the SUV, the larger vehicle. It's but true. No, it's, it's true that SUVs... Uh, there's more profit in SUVs, and there is room there. But the, but the fact remains, all the safety systems, all of the technologies, the emission systems have made cars more expensive. You can hide some of the cost in certain types of vehicles. SUVs is one of them, but we hear a lot from, from uh, environmental organizations, and I'm a big believer that pushing the industry is important. I have for 20 years. But, but you know, if you push in that direction, you expect those technologies, somebody has to pay for it. And this is the rub. You don't they're going push, to be so expensive, nobody can pay you for don't it. Want to put, you want to push them, but not push them over the cliff. And I think what we've done in the auto industry, certainly the main line was, now could they have been more innovative, more creative? They certainly could have. Yeah, but remember, General Motors came out with an electric car way in advance. They came out with a Corvair, a, a fuel-efficient vehicle, when I was just out of college. And those were driven off the market by not, not the environmentalists, that was the Ralph Nader era. And they pushed those out, and as a result, we ended up with a drive to, God, let's not try that again. And we were caught short-footed. But it's very difficult when public policy is switching from low affordable energy to unaffordable energy back and forth 
The industries keep chasing so the world of the Would you favor risk. a gasoline tax that would keep gasoline at a certain price? Oh, so absolutely not. I believe Americans. I think Americans should be able to have the less the the most affordable lifestyle they can. There's no virtue in crippling the American value of mobility by some kind of green ideology. But Fred, how do you do maintain that kind of low energy policy when it, there is a national security imperative here, I believe, of so much of our oil coming from the Middle East. If you keep it low, people are going to use well, it. We, we, we have the needle in the vein here. That, well, the needle in the vein, the argument that we're addicted to our automobiles, we're addicted to affordable energy, those aren't addictions. Those are drives that every people, all the people in the world have. Look, right, but the question is, but the question is, if we had an energy policy that I that would be rational, a free market energy policy, we would have so much natural gas. We're not sure we're even going to be allowed to develop it because environmentalists concerned about water use because it's not an own. Oh, that silly drinking water! You can just buy Avion. <laughs> and the other, and the other one is, well, we could, you know. The other is the uh, the argument about Avian tar sands. They're trying to stop tar sands in North America, which is certainly a secure source of energy. They're trying to stop offshore drilling. They're trying to stop on internal America deep gas uh, drilling. What kind of an energy policy is where we have nothing to do except go on energy starvation diets or go to Saudi Arabia? That's not an energy policy. Okay, first that's of all, suicidal. Fred, that's a straw man. No one's proposing that. Second of all, it's important to note that even with all of our offshore coast areas now open to drilling, the Department of Energy says that 20 years from now, we're still going to be importing 45% of what, our oil what, what, under current Dan, policy. What part of our... I come from Louisiana. Louisiana has offshore drilling. Right. The western Gulf of Mexico, the east coast, the west coast, all off limits. Not anymore. Oh, no. They're yeah, still the off limits. The moratorium, the moratorium was moratorium, The moratorium's gone, but Interior has done nothing to allow the exploration of those areas. And nobody is sure. Exxon's not even sure it wants to invest in natural gas production because they can imagine making a, what, $36 billion oh, I want to ask why no, we're reason, not doing natural no, gas. No, the reason I, why is yeah. Exxon just bought an, an onshore natural gas company to invest in shale gas production. And, That's because it's and, more economically and, affordable. And they've, just, and they've got a covenant in that thing that says if the environmentalists succeed in banning the use of water in those fields, they're out no of it. No one's talking about banning the use oh, of water. Well, you have okay, been so right, 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 I, I want to get to Nash's point. I want to get to Nash's point. There's a lot of natural gas. I have about 20,000 miles behind the wheel of natural gas cars, mostly Honda, Civic, GX, but others as well over the years. There's no reason we shouldn't have these vehicles on the road. We have abundant supplies of natural gas. We don't have access to all of it, and we should have access to more of it than we have now. Let's look at this. We have an energy security issue. As you said, Dan, natural gas is here. It's an abundant domestic fuel source. It runs well in vehicles. There's no reason we shouldn't be using it like Europe is using it. And, and no like other... with that. I well, think wait, we ought to pass... Wait, 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 come on. I don't disagree with that. Um, we support uh, Mr. Pick, Boone, T. Boone Pickens, uh, Pickens' plan Subsidy to, to create economic incentives to convert heavy-duty trucks to natural gas. I agree with you. It's a good fuel for trucks. It's not a great fuel for cars because you have a whole infrastructure problem nah, but trying you know, to I don't, private, I don't believe that. Honda Civic GX also has the ability, offers the ability to have a home refueler. So, you know, not everybody can have that. If you're in an apartment, you can't have that. But think about all the households you know. and businesses in the country that could have that. Right. I had a refueler at my business 20 years well, ago Ron, refueling. Because I, well, I, now I'm a little older, I think you guys are maybe wiser, maybe not. But the argument is when I was in high school, that's back in 1958. One of my classmates' father had the propane distributor, butane in, in that area, mm -hmm. distributor. He had a dual-fueled vehicle right then. Mm -hmm. But 
let's be honest, there were plenty of opportunities to expand that niche. It was a little more expensive. Yep, but you've avoided the tax. You avoided the uh, highway tax. And so as a result, Butane had a niche market, but that niche didn't expand. Why not? There were no policy variables against it. Partly the infrastructure question you raised, you raised, and partly the issue of there are other fuels that were more affordable and more easily done. It's expensive to create a national alternative fuel infrastructure. But there, but there are private companies waiting to do this. Clean Energy has uh, contracts. They fuel a lot of vehicles across the country, mostly uh, medium and heavy duty. There's no reason it can't be light duty. You know, so you have private industry ready, have ready in to run into this and provide infrastructure. Is a system that's got a different kinds of fueling system for different kinds of vehicles. I think. Private vehicles are going to be either plug-in hybrids or eventually electric vehicles. Heavy trucks will be on natural gas. Fleet vehicles, all fueled in a central place, natural gas. I think uh, maybe perhaps hydrogen further down the road. But we're going to have sort of a variegated system. But it's important that we start now. And if President Obama did not increase fuel economy standards last year, a lot of the innovation that you see here and in the future wouldn't be occurring. A lot more Americans would be alive. That size safety issue ought to always be raised. We, when we fight wars, we send soldiers or volunteers to defend American energy policy abroad, sometimes, sometimes domestically. When we put CAFE in, we take automobile drivers, especially the lower income ones, force them into smaller, less safe cars, and we increase highway fatalities. So you mean like the Ford Explorer, the SUV that's a hybrid? Well we, do that, that when we do that, basically what we're doing is essentially saying that we know better than you. Look, let a thousand flowers bloom. American auto industry started with steam-driven steam cars, with electrical-driven cars, and with the internal combustion. For many, many reasons, the internal combustion engine changed. There's nothing that says that's a law of nature. It might well change. I have nothing against electric cars, nothing against natural gas, and nothing against the internal combustion engine. But when government gets in that process, T. Boone Pickens, one of the great rent seekers of all times, a very interesting guy, and I sort of like him, but let's not call T. Boone Pickens a capitalist. He's a rent-seeking businessman, which is too many of in Washington. That was what the bailout and the stimulus was all about. Well, let's go back to the safety issue, because this has been raised since the, the very beginning of CAFE days back in the 70s. And well, no, no, we were the ones who first raised yeah, but, I mean, traffic fatalities have dropped almost every single year. So have, so has human health has improved, but that doesn't mean people aren't dying of AIDS and other diseases that could be avoided. The question is, what would the safety of America be on the highways if we had not forced too many Americans into too small cars? Look, if you want a small car, buy it, but recognize as a size safety trade-off. When uh, Henry Ford IV, I guess it was, was in the early cafe days, he said, yeah, you'd be safer in an M1 battle tank we could make it, but you couldn't afford it. And that's yeah. the problem. Which I well, you know what, though? When the first fuel economy standards were passed 35 years ago, uh, Lee Iacocca, who was then at Ford, said, we're all going to end up driving cars the size of Pintos. And you know what? That didn't happen. And in fact, in the next dozen years, we almost doubled fuel economy standards, and people drove all kinds of cars. Now, with the new fuel economy standards that President Obama put in place, we're all going to be able to choose the size of car we want, but they're all going to get better gas mileage. But Dan, but Dan, there's no free lunch. Okay. There's no free lunch. Ron's turn. The auto industry, the auto industry is pretty agile. You know, and, and, and they will adapt. It isn't just going to be downsizing, to, to your point. It's also going to be lightweighting, sure. lower rolling resistance, better aerodynamics, technologies better that, that better use, use energies. Um, there are, more money, there yeah. are, but you Cost know what? We, we've seen the economic effects 
You know, there's, there, there is a timeline for this. If you force it too fast, they're gonna, it's going to be very expensive. Right. But if the auto industry knows this is the goal, give the auto industry credit. They will come up sure. with their suppliers to answers, but it may take some time. It may, be, it may not be cost effective immediately, but, the t but it will come down. But I'd say it's not just going to force us into smaller cars. We will have greater choices of smaller cars because the market will go there. But, but look at the, you know, if Avery Lovins was here, he'd, he'd go into this theme about, we could use the same materials to make our auto bodies that we may use to make our F-22 super fighters. Well, we can, but those yeah, materials cost? are extremely yeah. expensive. Whether you force people into smaller cars or keep them in their older cars longer because the changeover cost is very high because of affordability, we are forcing Americans into less safe cars as a matter of public policy. I don't think it's a good public policy. I, I, I don't and if it is, we ought to debate it. See, I don't buy that thought because if you, if you look at the crash standards, I mean, everything's... Closing in on uh, five-star ratings now. Right. I mean, that, that, that's sure. where the bar is. Sure. Small cars are amazingly safe these days. Sure. And you're protected by airbags. Now, if you're going to get hit by a cement mixer, no, I'd rather be in a Chevy sure. Suburban than in sure. a smart car. Every and day, you know every day They're much week. more prone to rollovers. Those are the big cars. And you know what else, Fred? They were. They were, because now you have roll stability control. These cars would all be much more dangerous than they are today. And the auto companies fought better safety standards, kicking and streaming. Yeah. They, Look, fought this is an area, me, they fought seatbelts, they fought this airbags. This is an area we both know a lot about. Safety. And Dan, slightly modifying. When seatbelts were put in, there was an, I, I tried to get a seatbelt early on, 67 I think it was, weren't available. But at the point was, we were basically at that point unsure of the new technology. When, when we went to airbags, the initial data on airbags was if you, if you didn't have a seatbelt on, and that was not as universal as it is now, those could actually create higher fatalities for small children, for smaller people. That's one of the reasons. The auto industry itself was conflicted. Yes, safer for some groups, more dangerous for others. In a world where tort lawyers have more power than auto companies, you don't want to rush into that. But look, the point is, the, the first safety brakes, the first uh, avoid uh, now radar avoidance systems, every safety feature the automobile industry has started out in the private sector, and then, yes, Dan and others mandated it, but it was being introduced very quickly by the wealthier then people. Why do, they have to, and why do they have to be mandated? And why do the auto companies resist safety measures? And for 30 years, they resisted higher fuel economy standards. You know, not, Thank not goodness all, they finally... Not all automakers resisted. Well, the let me, did, no, let, let me give an example of Honda. Honda had their Safety for Everyone program, where they right. took... Uh, like everyone, this, all the best safety, uh, uh, latest safety systems with the side curtain airbags um, and, and side airbags, all of those used to be in the higher line cars. That's where you can vary the costs. And a number of years ago, they decided we're going to roll this out throughout, throughout our lineup. And they did that, safety for everyone. Other automakers have been following that kind of example. So I think as a matter of course, cars will get safer without being mandated because there sure. is no more competitive industry in, on, the, yeah. on the planet than the automotive and, industry. And, auto, and customers like auto safety. Look, it's very important to realize that utopians, and sometimes I think you guys are, are impatient. Rather than let uh, new technologies be tested and then be introduced in a diffusion, sure, let's try to accelerate airbags that. when but the, but the we argument, just let people no, get them if Dan, they can afford Dan, them. I, I, I appreciate your impatience, but your impatience has already destroyed two major auto companies. You really want to destroy the rest of the world. Excuse me, Fred. It was their lack of a producing fuel-efficient cars that people wanted that led them to the problems they were in, they're in today because it began not with a credit crunch, but with $4-gallon gasoline. And despite what you may think about uh, energy being abundant, the prediction is we will have $100 barrel oil by the middle Dan, of this Dan, decade, if not sooner. Dan, I'll, bet you, I'll bet you $500 that in five years, energy prices will be in the range here now. 
I'll bet you five dollars. Five dollars. We got a deal. Okay. Hey, we're going to have to do another show here I, on that one. I want to go back to your point about airbags. When airbags, uh, were, when safety systems were mandated, automakers were allowed the choice for a period of time: an airbag or a seatbelt system. They were tied. Right. They were tied into your your door. Right, it would automatically exactly. go across you. Not everybody could afford to have an airbag. They were expensive. And so those went in the high-line cars where the cost could be absorbed by luxury buyers and by performance buyers. It's the same thing, really, with, with environmental technologies. Sure. You can incorporate those point. into certain cars in the short term. Look at airbags. They're everywhere now, as they should be. But they couldn't be at the very beginning because not everybody could afford it, and it added a lot to the cost. Well, fuel economy is different than airbags in the sense that you have higher fuel economy that actually saves the consumer money. It can save them higher fuel economy standards. will add a couple hundred dollars to the price of a car, but will save. Uh, but an airbag could save their life. So you know, I think it's a good point. We're talking about environmental things now. Would save three, two to three thousand dollars over the life of the car in lower gasoline. Not prices. everybody looks at the life of a car. Yeah. People look at their monthly budget. Right, what exactly. is it costing me now? But let, let me say that. I think in a way the point we're somewhat disagreeing on is how do new improvements. We all believe in improved products over time. Right, absolutely. But in fact, what we see, and I think I want to follow up exactly what you said. In a way, I use the analogy: the rich are the white mice of our society. They're the ones who buy the early products that are very expensive and not very good yet, but they become the experimental lab. They're the white mice in which we test it out and become, or the next generation, the rest of us can buy the lower cost, higher quality products. We don't want to slow that product by prematurely preempting that process because we can get it wrong. We've got it wrong in synthetic fuels. We got it wrong well, in, in a lot of other fuels, areas. But, but look, at the, look at the auto market. Right now, General Motors is going to put the Chevy Volt on the market this fall, supposedly. It's our first uh, domestic plug-in hybrid electric vehicle. They say it'll get 230 miles per gallon. They already have them on the road in China. Why? Because the government looked at what was good for society as well as what was good for the individual and said, we need to use less oil. The auto companies here were only interested in short-term product profits, so they made the biggest cars they could with the worst fuel economy they could get away with, and that might have been good for them, but bad for society well, as a whole. You know, and over this time, we've seen our oil imports increase from about 50% to now two-thirds of our oils imported know, from that's, all that's simplifying it. I'm Gino, sorry. That's, that's simplifying things. It, this is the, television, of course. Yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> well, look, well, look, I'm not going to simplify it. I'm going to tell the truth. Now, the Volt is a great vehicle. It's coming only to California at first. Right. So and you Michigan and DC. Well, okay. Well, then they've expanded since the statement that, yes. that I had read. Yeah. And and that's but that's it's still important. small volume. Yes. It, it is, and and this is important. Those are small volume cars. Cars like it are going to make a difference. They will per be pervasive one day. It's critical they're here now. Auto industry should have been doing a better job Absolutely. all the way along. They are now in motion. Trust me, they are in motion. That's because they had a near-death experience. But we shouldn't right. just be depending on cars like the Volt and the Prius and others. We should be using technologies and fuels we have now. If our Absolutely. if our energy security issue is so critical, and it is, we should have more clean diesel vehicles on the road. We, we haven't got the clean diesel. We have it, but we ought, we ought to be talking about yeah. that because this, this comes in phases. We should use every tool available to us. One of those tools is clean diesel and advanced, advanced yeah. gasoline internal combustion. Diesel is an important one. Mass production diesel, numbers. Diesel is all of all of us know certainly, diesel is a much more dominant sector of the power systems in Europe. Why? Not because Americans and Europeans are that different. It was because the air pollution laws in America banned the ability no, to use because diesel. of the cost of fuel. And yeah, know, like there was the there was massive diesel, uh, diesel subsidies for diesels in Europe. Yeah, I, the, the price of fuel some was part. cheaper. Some and part. in some but not countries, every part, not every part of Europe. No, there were there were places where it was a but it didn't really matter because diesel wasn't blocked by regulatory impediments. In California, it was, and 
it's still look General Motors the Volt's not the first experiment with alternative fueled vehicles. General Motors was the lead in the California Clean Car Initiative, so on. And what happened? They basically lost a fortune. They pulled out of it. They realized that this wasn't going to work. Premature. They'd been pushed into it by government. They lost the bundle. That was one of the reasons they got in trouble later on. Not the only one, certainly. They made record profits in the earlier part of this decade selling gas guzzlers to Americans when they had the off-the-shelf technologies that could have made those to cars Americans much more fuel efficient. To Americans who wanted those cars. But they could have made them much more fuel efficient. But, but they weren't requested to. No, Americans and on that, we're going to cars. have to wrap this up. We are out of time. I want to thank each of you, <laughs> thank you for making my job so easy. <laughs> I mean, I just sat back and watched you all go at it. You've been terrific. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And I'll be back in a moment with some closing thoughts. Visit our website for even more great content all week long. AutoLine Daily, John's Journal, podcasts, and even more. So click over and get your all-access pass to the automotive industry at AutoLineDetroit.tv. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Those guys sure made my job easy today. And as always, we actually have more of this debate taking place at our website right now at www.autolinedetroit.tv. And then join us again next week when we will be taking a deep dive into Toyota's massive recall. And we'll be looking at what automakers have to do to make sure nothing like this ever happens to them. But that brings an end to this show. For all of us here at AutoLine Detroit, thanks for watching. We'll see you next week.